This is Infection, the survival podcast, pre-recorded for Tuesday, July 11th, 2017, episode 130. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Infection, the survival podcast. Infection is your source for the latest information on survival video games. We are bringing you the latest news, reviews, updates, and more each and every week. My name is Nick Craig, at Nicholas M. Craig is my Twitter. Infectionpodcast.com is our website. And Brian, we are pre-recording an episode of the show. This doesn't happen very often. No. What's going on? Well, we did we did it, well a week ago, but that was only for the first half of the show. So this yes. will be one of the first... And this is like whole thing. very pre-recorded, like like a yeah. day after we did the show already. So it's, this is a this is very pre-recorded, but it's fine because we never miss a week here. Consistency is key. What's going on, Brian? How are you? Yeah. I, I'm doing wonderful. Uh, if you want to find me at Boise Computer on Twitter, or you're more than welcome to go check out my blog, biteoftech.com. Um, I would also encourage you to join our Discord group. Nick and I may not be there this week, but uh, there's a lot of people to play games with still. So if you go to infectionpodcast.com on the right-hand side, you can click join server. That will connect you to our Discord group. Usually there's 60, 70 plus people in there um, and plenty of people playing games all throughout the week. So I would encourage you to go. If you haven't joined it already, click uh, join server. It'll get you right onto there. And you only need to do that once. Um, once you do that, if you have the app installed either on your phone or you have it installed on your computer, uh, every time you open it up, you'll be connected to the infection uh, Discord server. So it's really nice easy app to use uh if, you know when you're not wanting to be on it you just close it or exit it out and uh and it doesn't run or do anything in the background after that so also make sure you join our steam group for notifications of when we do our games of the week uh also we do no- notifications on there of when the live show is about to start and so that's a nice place to be able to find other people that are playing games and uh, find their steam libraries and their profiles there uh, and then, of course, uh, we will be having a game of the week. We haven't discussed what it is, but we will put a notification so it shows up. Um, I know that the one that will be by the time we do this airing here um, will be done. So um, hopefully people enjoyed Battlegrounds. And uh, we'll <laughs> Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it three days from now. <laughs> yeah, three days from now. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. But we'll uh, we'll put a notification up and it should pop up saying what game of the week. And we'll also put notifications in the Discord group beforehand so people can play. Yes. We have a very special show lined up for everybody tonight. Brian, I'll let you do the honors. You've been waiting a long time for this one. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. So um, I'm going to be introducing, and it's Marco, is it Katena? I want to make sure I... Uh, Katina. Do the it's Katina. Katina. There we go. Uh, Katina, and he yeah. is is one of the uh, developers of Miscreated. So he is the lead level design. Is that the correct official term? Yes, position. yes and, um, yeah. and, and with Entrada and that's a game that initially when I started talking about it people didn't really know what it was like not very many people had played it and I just kept talking about this game that was just so beautiful uh, I, would, I would go on and, and people would make fun of me because I just would run around and just look at stuff and I would run around and try to find stuff uh, you know not necessarily things to loot but like just what's the little thing can I find what little hidden gem or like what little thing and you're the person most likely responsible for all those things i'm running around because they they tease me about being so into immersion and this game is all about immersion for me and so i've been a big fan uh, of miscreated from day one even through all the rough times when you guys are figuring out your server stuff like uh it's a it's a beautiful game the one you know you can say whatever about the networking code and all that stuff 
the game itself is beautiful. And so, you know, that comes down to you. So thank you very much for coming on here. Um, It's nice to uh, put a voice to a face because Twitter is just a bunch of pictures usually. So, (laughs) (laughs) As this isn't a bunch of pictures just moving really quickly in succession, Brian. Appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks. Um, so one thing you can do if you want to check out some information about him, it's about um, marcocatina.com um, is his website. If you want to go see uh, what he, what, you know, his educational background, what he does, what his skills are, uh, because he's not just some guy on the internet who likes to mess around with stuff. Uh, and he went to college and, and has a degree in this um, very talented and in his area. Also, you can check out his Twitter, twitter.com forward slash miscreated Marco. Uh, and he put posts on there. And if you're ever looking for like high resolution screenshots from the game, um, just cool things. We were talking to him before. He's the one who makes the videos and things that you see. So a lot of the uh, the public facing of what miscreated is that you see comes from Marco. So um, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you do have a little bit on your about page, but how did you get into this business? You, did you go to school saying I want? I want to make video games or is this something that kind of later, you know, as you're figuring out what you're trying to do, did you get into the industry somehow, or is this something that you planned on doing? Well, um, well, before it started as, um, I used to do mods for crisis one and crisis two. And, uh, I was using CryEngine back then, which was CryEngine version two. And, um, yeah, I created a few levels and multiplayer games with with the CryEngine for those for those two games, and that was back in two thousand and seven, I think. I was only a teenager at the time, and then um, then I wanted to take it a bit more seriously after college. I thought if I do a degree, you know, it will kind of push me into a career path. Um, <laughs> I did my degree; it took me three years to get it. I got a degree in uh, computer games design. And then uh, I didn't immediately get a job after it. It took me two years after to get this this job with Entrada. Um, I did work for um, my local theme park <laughs> before I did yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, I was I was the guy who pushed the buttons on roller coasters, and I did that for, for uh, about a year. And before that, it was like ride photos. So yeah, it's a good use of your college park. degree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good use. I mean, because the the problem was with the industry, it was um, it's quite competitive with with uh, the people they want to hire. Um, they always ask for experience, so it's either, oh, yeah. you must have three years experience or two years experience. It's like, how do you get the experience without getting the job in the first place? So, I mean, yep. after two years working in quite frankly a crummy job. Um, I just thought to myself, I just need to pursue this path again and, and try it. And uh, so, yeah, I did, and I succeeded, which was lucky. Now, Marco, we're here to talk about miscreated, but I am curious about this. We have a lot of people that watch this show that are either in late high school, maybe they're into college now, or they're looking to go into college. If somebody is interested in game design, in your opinion, or game development, do they need to go and get a degree for that, or is it something that enough time modding, Arma, whatever the whatever engine or game you want is enough of that to get a job in game development or do you do you think you have to get a degree i think i think if you want to do something very specific like programming especially you want to get a computer science degree or a computer games programming degree i think that that's 
necessary but honestly there's so many different sources out on the internet now and there's you know unreal's engines for free you know cry engines for free unity's free you can download these packages and then there's <laughs> like almost unlimited amounts of tutorials and um communities that you can join and you can learn by yourself it's, as long as you're passionate enough i think you can make it without going to school for this kind of job but you have to be very very and what good position did you think. start out with when, when you got hired on for miscreated did you start as lead designer or did you start well, somewhere else and then yeah. later become that well, when I started, there was the company really was just a startup company. We were just a bunch of guys on the, the CryEngine forums. And I had just finished my job. The season just ended at, at the theme park. So I finished my job and I was like looking for a, a place to get some experience. So I went on to um, CryEngine.com, went on their forums because I'm used to their technology because I'm very good at it and I've, I've used it before. So I went on their forums. They have a recruitment. Um, like sub post place anyway so there's a thread in there and there was one for miscreated and this was my boss now terry evans who started the post and he was looking for a, a level designer because they didn't have one um but i mean early on the, the, the company didn't have any money it wasn't until we put the game into early access which was um october 2014 i believe that we started getting revenue so we can start actually this becoming our job uh, most of the people on our team you know were there from the beginning and they were all volunteers and it's quite crazy knowing the backgrounds of some of these people what their jobs were before it wasn't necessarily just computer games this was just their purely their hobby i mean i mean graham like one of our um the guy who does most of our buildings in the game uh, he used to be a builder like labor making uh you know <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy he used to be a builder so he has an eye for buildings and now he creates them in 3d and and that's his job so you know we've all come from many different so what time there are like, a few yeah go ahead brian so yeah so how you're kind of giving some dates. So how long, when did you start? So how long have you been working for Entrada or when not necessarily working, but when did you join them? And then when did they consider you like, no, now you're getting yeah. paid. Yeah. I, I started um, in February, 2014. And um, obviously, yeah, I was working for free then. Um, I shot him a, I shot Terry a, a message on like an email and he gave me a week trial to kind of come up with something and I showed him all my work and you know I got accepted and then it wasn't until October of that year that I, I actually properly got a paid contract and now it's really my job <laughs> it's my full-time job now to, to work on this game and everyone on the team works from home just like I do do you think that's kind of the yeah. future of game design from here on out i mean just being able to with with the new technology of of being able to do all these things remotely submit your code or submit your graphics do, do they really need I to mean, have the offices like you and for other studios i mean i mean even big studios say like ubisoft they have studios all around the world just as much as you know we do too in a way but we're all individual 
Um, but I think for like an indie sort of setup, I think it works perfectly. There's no overhead costs. You don't have to really worry about um, relocating or finding talent in your area. You can your talent is global. Your talent pool is global, so you can find anyone anywhere. So in a way, I do believe it's the future, but I much prefer an office. I would say. So that, that that's exactly what I was going to ask. Is you know I've the, the job I'm moving for in the next couple of weeks here. I currently do remotely right now, and while that's great, you can sit at home. You don't have to sit in traffic to get to the office. There are, and I think people should should know this. Working from home is it's great. There's many good aspects of it, but it's not it's not all great. I mean, there are things that it's easier to just do in person when you can walk over to the next desk and say, "Hey, where is this? Hey, where is that? You know, what's your update on this?" Is that something that you have a problem with working remotely? Oh, I would say it's a problem with time zones. I mean, Ooh, yeah. if I need to speak with someone <laughs> in Australia, then you know he's up when I go to bed, and it's the same with some couple of people in America, you know, if I want to speak to them, if we have to wait until later on in the evening. I mean, even now it's like, it's 10 o'clock at night here and it's probably the afternoon for you guys. It's, it's, you know, I mean, time it's zones too, like, are, yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the I mean, time zones are a bit of a pain, but the, the other thing is it's like your work's at home. It's like, imagine going to work in an office and then sleeping under your desk. It's in a way it feels like that. But you got a bit more freedom yeah. and flexibility. That's all the benefits. But I'd love to just shut the door sometimes and get my head out of it and relax. Yeah, I appreciate that because I know a lot of people promote this. Oh, I love working from home. I love working from home. It's not. It's, it's not. It's all. It's cracked out to be. Absolutely not. I mean, there there is that benefit of when you leave the office, you are you are done. And when you work from home, it's emails or whatever, twenty four hours a day. You know, you get something. You're yeah. you have to answer it. So it's interesting. So now yeah, there's an exactly. upcoming title, a new title that's they've they've talked about um, that that Entrada is going to be a part of. Are do you have anything to do with that title? Are you allowed to say, um, or are you sticking purely with Miscreated? I'm purely on Miscreated. I'm on that project through to the end. And um, I mean, I mean, the new project that they're working, that Entrada is working on as well in conjunction is um, Rebel Horizons, which is more of a space MMO. I don't really know a huge deal about it, but the technology is completely different from what we did from this game. It's using Unreal technology, and it's also using, um, I think, what the hell is it called? It's, it's made by Improbable. It's this company in London. Um, it's called Spiritual OS. I hope I've pronounced that right. I think it's Spiritual or Spatial OS, which is um, uh, instead uh, of Spatial like, OS. Yes, yeah, spatial right? OS. Yeah, yeah. Um, instead of it being that you connect to one server and that's that's your game on that one server, you connect to like a cluster of servers. So when you're moving through the game, you connect to various different servers. So it's it's, it's an interesting piece of tech. Um, so I, I I don't really know much about it, but I, I'm I'm not touching that game <laughs> at, at the moment. But I, the good thing about it, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I haven't really seen any games that have, I mean, I've seen games saying they're going to use it, but I haven't really seen any games using it currently, like with it in effect. It's, so it'd be interesting to see how it really works since everybody is saying, oh, we're going to use this. <laughs> it, it's, um, it's very new technology. It's, it's very um, early stage technology, very new. Um, 
I think there's one other game that's out that uses it. I think it's called Worlds Adrift, which I don't know. If and they just released. Yeah. yeah, they just so they they I, released I like they a month released. month and a half ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it, I'm not sure it. The game, from what I've seen of watching people play it, it doesn't seem huge, but I guess probably you can go other places and see people. It's not like all these people are running around and there's you know just tons of people that you know about. But I, I think it's to where you can get up, make a ship, and then travel to pretty much where other people are. You know, and that's where it's probably transferring and everybody can communicate on their yeah. servers somehow at some point if they traveled over there, which I think yeah. is if you're not running a lot of people at once, that probably works fine. Um, it'll be interesting to see if you get 100 people in the same place and then you try to do this, what happens? Yeah, I'm quite curious about it as well. I, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, but I mean, we, we the, our company's hired like a completely separate sub team for this and they're all working part-time or full-time. I don't know the exact details. I do talk to them now and then because we have like a company chat on, on discord. So I try to now, poke some details you did, out of them. On your about, you said that um, you have some experience with unreal. So, I mean, with, with crying, yeah. you started with crying. What is your opinion? Now you've worked with both. Like you have, I know you probably say like, oh, I like this one because it's the one that I, it's my baby from the beginning, what I'm used to, but <laughs> what's your, what's your comparison between the two? It, it's funny that you dug up that website. It's, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite out of date, as you can see from the photo of me in it. But um, I, I used uh, Unreal 3 um, when I was, when I was in university. So we, we, we used that as part of our curriculum. And I mean, back then, this was before Unreal 4 that you have today. I mean, back then it wasn't very, uh, I wouldn't say it's very intuitive compared to CryEngine at the time, which is probably why um, Entrada picked CryEngine over Unreal because when they were first trying to pick their technology, their engine that they wanted to work with, um, Unreal 3 wasn't at that level yet. But now that Unreal 4 has come out, and I mean, we always look at Unreal 4 and see how beautiful and all the new tech that comes out with it and stuff so um but i mean everyone thinks that the grass is greener on the other side and maybe it is but it's most of the time it's okay not. so going down this road oh. a little bit um what what about lumberyard because lumberyard really is cry engines a certain version of cry engine that was forked right yes and then yeah. it's being developed by amazon so i from what I'm thinking miscreated is probably at the moment, is it closer to Lumberyard's version than it is now to the latest CryEngine or have you been able to keep up with CryEngine? Well, I mean, um, I would say that the version of the engine that we're using is, is very similar to Lumberyard right now. I mean, they've only, all they've done is tweaked a few things in Lumberyard. Um, I mean, we, we have discussed, you know, we've been looking at Lumberyard very closely and seeing their updates and seeing what they're doing. But the, the only hitch with it is that um, if you're a multiplayer game, you have to use AWS, which is Amazon servers, and there is no wiggle room there. You can't use your own servers unless you own a server company, which we don't. So um, if we wanted to, let's say, we wanted to let players host their own servers, they couldn't because we'd be locked down in AWS because we're using Lumbiard. So it's really a, a no go for us at the moment and we have such a really good standard relationship with 
Crytek who make CryEngine, and they invite us to their trade shows to show off the game. They they always want videos for our game for their promotions as well, and we're always back and forth with their um, technology team as well. So if we have like a problem with the engine, we can just shoot them an email, or we know specific people in that company that know the ins and outs, and they they you know we we, we try to stay loyal to them and. Going with Lumbiard, we just kind of burn that bridge, I would say. And there's all sorts of yeah, that's and that's got to be tough problems. because if you look at some of the, some of the things that Lumberyard's doing, I mean they're they're mm-hmm. kind of fixing some of the things that you're also fixing in CryEngine with the networking code. Like they're really focusing on all the things that you guys are putting the exact same resources <laughs> into to try yeah. to fix. Uh, you think CryEngine is possibly looking at this and saying, oh, maybe we should ramp up our multiplayer network code? so that these small dev teams like like yours doesn't have to go and do it all by hand, which is a huge amount of work. I mean, it's not some simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a point where they'll ignore it long enough and then be like, ah, or are you guys submit code that you do back to them to say, hey, this would be really good if you put this into your engine so we don't have to keep all this, <laughs> time, you know, that code. It's like you're a fly on the wall, really, from what you just said. That. <laughs> um I mean, we we have. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, to be honest. But it's fine. I mean, you can say it's sorry. Like, it's fine. Nobody's <laughs> watching. Nobody's watching. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You can say anything you want. Whenever a developer says, "I don't know if I can say this," we say, "Just don't worry." No, it's just the three of us, right? Yeah. There's no one else here. It's a private conversation. I mean, we. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we work closely with Crytek, like I just said, and um, we we have. I mean, picking out all the CryEngine uh, the games that are out there. Not that many, but there is some. And we being one of the bigger multiplayer ones that has to deal with hundreds and thousands of items and players and database and you know all the back end stuff. And um, we, we kind of share our findings with them. And yeah, it's just it's just a part of our our, our deal with them. Well, cool. I'm not going to say any more because I. Yeah, I no, that's no problem. <laughs> and that's the thing because I, I don't know I, the. I, I, inner workings of, of, of yeah. But anyway, we have a good relationship with Crytek. That's that's all I'm going to say now. Yeah, and that's the thing I look at. I mean, because I'm from an outside observer, and I understand that there's a relationship there. And I look at Lumberyard, and I'm like, man, that would fit so well. And I, but there are the limitations of, you know, Amazon has a reason that they're doing this. You know, they have a reason they bought it, and they it's free. Yeah. They want people to use their services. They want them to use all those backend services, and you get locked into that into that environment. Uh, once you go to Lumberyard, one one crazy thing that I was looking at here this last week is uh, SpeedTree is free for Lumberyard. So any any yeah. developer who uses Lumberyard gets SpeedTree for free, which, I mean, it's definitely smart on Amazon's part. Like, they're making it so easy. They're like, oh, you don't have to worry about the servers. You don't have to worry about some of these licensing costs. I mean, you can tell they're definitely doing everything they can to bring these people over. but at that cost you know you you will be yeah. using their service um you know those things don't transfer out if you can't take those trees that you make in speed tree and move them over to a project if it moves so um you know that's one thing yeah. to keep in mind yeah. uh, for people that are maybe in that step um, there are yeah. drawbacks now, Marco, you said something interesting at the beginning uh, when when Brian asked you if you're going to be working on the on the this new space game. You said I'm with Miscreated until the end. For you, 
what is not announcing yet, right? What no, no, not announcing that, but but what is the end? We we see this problem. We talk about early access games every single week, and it seems like a lot of these games. Arc has kind of been the the gold exception to this. They never finish. It's always just this. Con- like Daisy is a great example of. It. I love the Daisy team. I love the game, but they're just always. They're never do. They're never getting anywhere. It's been like two years, and it's just still the slow pick away at the game. Do you think? I, I think you do, but do you think Miscreated has an end? And if so, what is that end for you and your team? This is quite a hard question, but I would say we have an end in sight. We uh, I can't say specific estimates. We have like an internal estimate of what we want in the game to say, yes, we can pull out and move into beta and then polish and fix and then move into release and get out of early access. We have a we have a date in mind. Uh, I'm not allowed to say because I'll get killed. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's the internet. Uh, uh, what we what we want is the end is what we we promised from the start, and then beyond, you know, it's never the end though because beyond that, obviously we want to continue supporting it as long as people keep enjoying it, and there's so many different things that I would like to see. Uh, in the life after miscreated if that makes sense so once it's released i would love to see you know i would love to see mod support because that's how i broke into this industry in the beginning like we said we discussed earlier you know i would love to give something back and 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 let someone have the tools to this and and see what they do with it because sometimes they'll surprise you really but yeah i mean we have an end in sight we have a big list of things that we need to go through um whether we hit our date that we're thinking uh it remains to be seen but i i feel very confident in it so do you have any kind of things that we're not asking for secrets that you're not allowed to tell but do you have anything that's going to be coming up that maybe people haven't heard about yet uh things you're because you, i mean you've done the sewers you've got you know this big city that you put out a while ago um mm-hmm. i mean the, the game is still growing like there's new things coming is there anything that you're that's kind of on the horizon that's going to be something that hey they'll be like hey check out the screenshot of this um that you're allowed to well (laughs) i mean i've pretty much talked about um uh, quite a few things that are up and coming from my side anyway for 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 the uh you know the map design and new locations to visit i mean I'm, i'm currently working on a new newer town in the north north end of the map yeah north corner um, we're still improving the big dam that we released in the uh, in the last update. We got some new bits and bobs that need to go onto there. Um, I'm waiting for some new. Uh, I'm actually waiting for some new buildings that that Graham, one of our our builders, is is pumping out for me. Some new residential buildings to kind of vary up the towns a bit more. Um, and then um, our part-time level designer is also working on uh, the harbor area north of the um, Haywood city so the big city there's like there's a big harbor at the top of it and he's he's kind of fleshing that out and nailing that out um yeah I can't I think then there's um long awaited there's this there was like a leaked uh icons of like a few scopes and things and we're just kind of polishing that up now and, and trying to get that in for the next update hopefully I don't know yeah but it seems promising I've seen them working in game so more scopes for more weapons. 
Now this is I'm I'm curious about this since you seem like you have a lot. Do you have a lot of creative control like in your current role? <laughs> I have pretty much a infinite freedom to do what I want with my portion of the game anyway. So with the map or anything. So if I wanted to put something in there or I could just hide it and sneak it in, <laughs> I can do that. As long as it doesn't break anything and it makes sense, then no one's going to no one's going to argue with me. But So I'm curious I mean, about this. Now, well, I would imagine you enjoy playing video games on the side. This is this is probably a hobby of yours. Do you have yeah. this issue of and I'm, I've always wondered about this. This issue of, "Oh, I like playing video games. Oh, that's cool." I like X feature in this game. Let me just put that in my game. Is that something that you have to... I would imagine it's something you have to constantly deal with, right? Yeah, I would I would say so. Because <laughs> um, you see, like... Especially games that are similar in the genre. You see it and you're like, damn, how did they do this? This looks really... This is really fun to, to play around with. Um, or I usually just look at the, like, the little things more than the big features. So, like, art pieces, like assets and buildings and landscapes and things, rather than core game mechanics. Because I, I really, I don't really touch any game game code or any mechanics or anything. I'm just purely just visuals and, and level design and just the map. So, usually I look at assets and location ideas and things, yeah. So how many asset designers, because there's so many unique graphics in this. I mean, if you look through the screenshots and this created, and that's one thing that really caught my eye right away, it just seems like there was just a huge amount of, of detail. And um, you, you just the, the, from the graffiti to you, you just look around. I mean, you look at one scene around that church area and you see telephone pole that's broken down and just, it's not bare. You go to a lot of games that are open world and there's just tons of dead area. There's tons of repeat. Uh, and that's one thing I really noticed with this. I mean, there, I'm sure there's repeat, but it's done in a way that it doesn't seem to be super noticeable. So like how many, do you have a lot of people is a larger part of your team creating assets or do you have just a couple asset people that are just really good? <laughs> I would say like the the largest division in our team is probably artists. Um, yeah, and then this is really my job to just kind of piece it together. I think off the top of my head, I think there's probably about five or I think there's about five or six artists, I believe. Um, but some of them don't just do um, environment art. I mean, Matt it does uh, most of our uh, character art. So clothing, the characters themselves, the mutants, and and all that. Um, I mean, Carl usually does small props and uh, guns and little things, and then we have some generalist artists as well. Um, but I mean, mainly for like environment, there's just uh, me. Um, there's a part-time level designer, and then there's uh, Graham, and then there's also. Uh, there's also Serkin, who's our, uh, another artist who, who jumps on board. He's kind of a generalist. And, yeah, I mean, the, there's, yeah, there's probably about four of us that mainly focus on, like, the bigger things in the, in, in the map more than anything. Yeah. So do you do any kind of work for other studios as well? I, is this something that you, you pretty much 
just miscreated and miscreated or do you kind of dabble in not even maybe another studio but do you do stuff for other people or other projects no <laughs> this this completely eats up all my time my life is just revolving around this game and and uh this job really it's just I mean, my plate is just never ending at the moment. Anyway, it feels like that way because I've been on this project for so long and I am the only full-time person who level designer puts this together. So, you know, it eats up all my time, full-time job. It's, it almost feels 24-7. Sometimes I work on weekends and things as well just to hash out some stuff. Yeah. Do you ever run around and like, because generally you don't usually see people change things that they've done previously. Do you ever run around the map and you're like, what, like uh, something you did years ago? You're like, why did I put that there? <laughs> Are you ever tempted? Like, do you bother ever going back? Like, I got to go move that. Do you, every, you catch your weird thing? Every time, every time <laughs> I, I play the game. Yeah. If I, if I play the game for like about half an hour, I'm just looking at stuff that I, I know I can make better. I know I can improve this part. I know I can change this part. And all it makes me want to do is just close the game, open up the editor, and just start doing it. Redo yeah. the entire like, game. Well, I, don't, I don't have to sit there. Yet. <laughs> like, I could get into the real thing and move this around. There, there are some parts in, in, in the level I'm just kind of, I feel like just scrapping and, and, and doing from scratch again. Because, you know, we when, you, when we started the project, there was not many assets for me to play with and now we've got i think it's over five thousand different objects and assets i can i can place in the world so in comparison you know there must have been there was a lot less in the beginning so now when i go back to older areas i see them and i'm like i can just spend a bit of time revamping them but people want more and more and more stuff rather than quality at this stage i would i would say and i well some people would that's a huge issue with the early access communities. It, it doesn't matter how polished you make anything. It's, I want more, I want more of this, I want more of that. Uh, that kind of feeds into my, my question here. How much of the game have you had to just completely redo? Because you said when you started off, you didn't have the assets available. I would imagine you didn't have the same tools or team members available to, to do tasks. Have you had to redo a large portion of, of your job in the past couple of years, I guess in the past year or two, because you have those assets available now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I go back on some things just to, it's to completely change. I mean, I mean like the, the military base is probably one of the most recent ones where we're just like, I mean, like, like Brian says, like, like, why the hell did I do that? You know? And we kind of moved a few things around and made it look a bit nicer and there are many other areas i i know in the back of my mind that i want to change and do um it's just it's just a matter of time but like you said yeah i mean the early access community is 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 more like well i can make this area look a bit more pretty or i could have a new town or a new location to explore and i think they would rather have the new location than than that so with, without without bashing the early access community because that's what we do, um, could you if you let's say you had the opportunity again, would you have done an early access game if you knew it? Inv- the, I mean, it's no surprise. I'm I can't specifically speak for the miscreated community, uh, but a lot of these specifically survival early access game communities are unbelievably toxic. 
Do you notice that with miscreated? I don't go to certain places on the internet. Yeah. Because okay. of that. Okay. So if you had the opportunity to do it again, <laughs> would you not do a mis uh, an early access project because of the community? Um, not too. I mean, if I was to do it again, I mean, to be honest, the the early access program really gave us the funding and the needs to do it in the first place. So, I mean, kind of in a way, we didn't really have much of a choice. I mean, we could have gone through Kickstarter or something else. I mean, that's pretty much similar to early access anyway. So, I mean, early access basically Kickstarter, but you get to play it. Um, so, I mean, if I was to do it again, my frank answer is really we had no choice. We had to do it like this because of our, you know, our background basically having zero cash or capital. One thing I have noticed about the miscreated community is, and one thing that really impressed me is there are some very dedicated players in the miscreated world. I mean, ones that just, even when, when the, the net code was, was really having a rough time and it was, you could only have a certain number of players and it was pretty much eating up all your bandwidth to play. Um, you know, there was that core set of people, like I think it's Bam Bam is one of them I'm thinking of, just certain people that sit there and just love miscreated. And, you know, there there were constant miscreated, miscreated, you know, just like I was in here talking, I, I'd come in the podcast when no one was playing miscreated yet and say, hey, Ben, you, you know, you got to play the miscreated. You got to check out miscreated. <laughs> uh, you know, these guys on a daily basis that were, were promoting the game. And so I, that's one thing I noticed that, a lot of other games like H1Z1 didn't really have, you didn't have those core set of people that were sitting there and pretty much the cheerleaders that I did see on, on miscreated, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, That's kind of my worry of getting, I mean, we're we're kind of growing and growing and growing, which is really nice, but I really miss, like you said, I really miss the fam, the family, really. I call them like the miscreated family. They are kind of, they're so unbelievably dedicated I can, and I can name so many different names for and we we always you know I always keep in touch with them on Twitter and, and look at their tweets and see their opinions over probably more popular you know streamers and things because they are like our miscreated family they were with us through thick and thin which is really insane to be honest and they're still with us today you know still playing the game still loving it and they're really enjoying the updates and it's it's nuts, really, um, but yeah, I, I I don't think I ever want to lose like the misgraded core family. That's that's what I hold to myself really closely. Anyway, yeah. now I'm curious how the company deals with. So, for example, let's say there's a, a a forum post going around or a Reddit post, and the general consensus is the community wants something to change. How do you internally weigh a couple of people on Reddit? Uh, complaining about the problem or on, on a form, how do you weigh that against, hey, this is our game, we're doing this because we we have to or we want to? How do you deal with that? Appeasing the community, but at the same time not giving them, because I think Brian brought it up earlier, H1Z1 has done this, where they've given the community too much power and they follow everything the community says, and then they just end up with a mishmash of stuff that doesn't work. How do you guys deal with that with the, with the community? Well... I, I think of it as like um, sometimes you have to just God, it's quite hard this one I mean sometimes you don't have to see what they want to change specifically you want to just see what they're 
complaining about or what the, the problem is in, in general. Um, I mean, we don't bow down to certain things because some of us are very, um, have it in their way that they want the game to be a certain thing. Some people say, like, like the loot, for example, like, oh, it's too hard to find, like, a gun on a shelf because, you know, it kind of blends in with the environment too much. And uh, we, we don't want to go down that path where we start highlighting loot, like everything's glowing in a house or something, and you can just see it and pick it up. We wanted to keep it minimalistic that way and, and kind of true to our um, our own game and keep our identity that way. Um, I mean if we see like a big enough complaint we'll kind of look into it um but i mean if it's something that fundamentally changes our core ethos for the game in a way then um, we, we probably would try to slide it on the rug or try a, a different approach to to solve that problem rather than doing what they specifically said if that makes if that makes sense yeah how is your how has your process yeah. changed over time? Is like you started out as kind of a volunteer group of people, a small group of people. How has it changed from that point to now for like planning? Like, what are we going to, how are we going to do this? Designing something and then implementing it into miscreated because before was it just more of a, Hey, this would be really cool. Let's throw it in there. And then I'm assuming now you're like, Oh, that might break everything. So <laughs> maybe we should hesitate on, you know, <laughs> I mean, things in. We, we've kind of matured. We got, we're a bit more sophisticated now. <laughs> I mean, so sometimes there is like those odd little fun features that we're like, you know, this would be kind of fun. We'll, it only take like a few days to hash out. We'll put that in there. Like, um, like the animals, like the pigs and the chickens that you can pick up. And for some reason, I mean, I only saw recently some like new players who find a pig and they pick it up and they're just like jumping in joy. Like, it's so silly and so <laughs> simple for some reason people enjoy that um i mean now uh, the, the process is a bit different we have um uh we use an internal tracking website called uh jura and uh confluence and each one is like they're basically like a, a job tracking um system so you can say oh there's a bug with such and then you can write up a whole report or if i need someone to build an asset for me like a prop or a building i can uh write up a whole report on what exactly we need and give them reference photos and things um but yeah i mean other than that kind of portion of it most of the stuff has kind of stayed the same. We don't talk through Skype anymore. We used to use Skype as our main communication. We've shifted over to Discord because Skype's a bit strange sometimes. Um, and we have uh, meetings every every few weeks, every couple of weeks, I would say, internal meetings where we just voice chat and we just talk about you know, what we want to put into the next update and what everybody's working on just to make sure that we're all on the same page. And yeah, I mean... Discord and, and Jura are our main two um, kind of organizing pieces, really, how we communicate. What about one, one thing that uh, I, I, we have heard about, you know, people saying, well, what about the base building system? Because you had the, initially with, uh, you didn't have the ability to store a lot of items um, due to the, you know, the replication system was, was not 
filtering what data would go where. So then once you were able to say, all right, um, you know, this is not relevant to, to this player, so they don't need to have all this data sent to them. And you, and you implemented that relevant system. Uh, now you can have storage and things like that. Do you, are you, are you guys planning on making the base building system bigger? Like, are you planning on changing it drastically now that you have some more freedom in the engine? Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely on our list. There is some really um, glaring issues with the base building system right now that we are completely aware of, um, especially um, user, you know, making it more user-friendly, I would say, because we recently um, hired a UI artist who did our main menu in our server browser, and he's also going to be working on uh, our, in- our in-game UI. So that gives us an opportunity to kind of uh, reevaluate the crafting system and the craft the way you craft things um so that in turn kind of affects base building um i mean there's like one glaring issue was uh floating bases because you can build up a tower then delete the walls below and you'll have like your loot box protected like 10 feet in the air or something um there is like early code that terry's been working on that that actually um <laughs> sends it back down to earth so, I mean, you really have to just ask Terry on that one. Uh, he he's kind of um, the lead force into this uh, this this kind of area for this mechanic. But I mean, we're still kind of you know back and forth on uh, where we want to take it. But I I truly believe that you know simplifying it a bit more and and uh, making it more accessible and user friendly, and then fixing those issues will probably be the way forward for us do you find that sometimes like is is there any big issue that you guys find yourself fighting with the engine i mean you had the 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 net code thing but is there something that CryEngine does that just you guys are like why does it do it this way because i mean you see you'll see things in unreal for instance and i I can always tell an unreal game because there's just certain things that unreal does right uh unity games you can see certain things that Okay, that's a Unity game. Is there are there things that it's like, oh, that's CryEngine because you know the character moves like this, the character does this. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a few little things. I don't know if you you can probably notice sometimes. Um, there's like, I think the, the most tiny little thing is like when when you're running and the gun goes in front of your camera. Um, you can sometimes yeah. see it kind of take away objects that are hidden behind it and make them reappear again um yeah i I wouldn't say there was much i wouldn't i don't know actually try to think what the kind of issues you kind of find from a player's perspective you mean like what could they see or um yeah like from would you know is there anything you notice or you guys are like man we you're trying to make it do it another way but it's just like that's the cry engine that's the CryEngine way. Because, I mean, this was a single-player game, right? I mean, as far as CryEngine was based on a single-player game and yeah, kind a of very, a set thing. Lin- linear, yeah, like, as far as what it is. I would think, like, the, the their terrain system. Like, if we, um, if we want to make a cave, we have to cut a hole in the terrain. And they have a good system, so, yeah, you can cut a hole, but they're always on a, a certain grid. <laughs> they're just on a grid so it's always a square and when you're 
really far away from that and you look back at the uh, the hole that you made you know sometimes it makes it bigger or sometimes it just looks a mess so i mean i mean that they're kind of minor little graphical issues um nothing nothing else i can really point out that i would think that you kind of expect it to do one way to do the other it kind of does what it's told to do most of the time i would believe now as far as far as when i'm going to go a little bit more into your area when you're mate when you're designing these buildings or designing a layout uh how what are you what are you using for reference like are you just using your imagination of uh here's what I picture might be in this kind of an environment. You know, here's how I picture it might look, or is there a lot of research that's going into that of grabbing, you know, pictures and, and, and trying to really, or, or is it just, you go in there and just start playing with things and see, see what comes together. Like what, what's kind of the process to be able to make, you know, cause there's a lot of details in these scenes that don't just happen by themselves. And you know, there's not some tool where it says, you know, Hey, let's make this look cool. Like you're that tool, right? Um, how, how do you, how's that process go of, okay, I'm starting with a building that's just the, the frame of it, right? It's just the building itself to having something that feels immersive when you walk into it. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, well, mainly, mainly for like street layouts and things and, you know, Google street view is like a good source of things to, to look at or the way like a town's built up and the infrastructure there. Um, in terms of a building, it's, it's more like we build um, the, the outer shell first and, and then kind of think about the skeleton inside after, which is probably not a, a good way of doing it. But for us, it's like we don't have the manpower all the time to spend months and months and months planning a, a huge floor plan and, and, you know, how, how it's all going to kind of turn out. I mean, Graham's kind of like our, our mastermind on buildings, um, especially interiors and things. Um, I, I always try to encourage him to do multiple ways of getting in and getting out. Um, but yeah, he, he's kind of like the mastermind in, in all the architecture in the game. But as, as far as like the, like even coming down to like the trash in the streets and the, you know, the way the grass is like, mm-hmm. it's really easy for companies either to paint it all just and, and, and you'll notice, man, it looks the same. Like I just see the exact same combination of grass everywhere. Um, you know, that takes time to sit there and make it look like it's not the paint tool just going, all right, here's a strip of grass. Like, yeah, is I that mean, something that over time, just with experience, or is that something that like you take? The, we, you are sitting there thinking, "Man, I got to make this flow." We look at a lot of different references from different games and and movies and TV shows. I mean, I have I have an art book from The Last of Us. I I look at the, some of their ways of you know showing decay with with foliage as well. Well, um, I mean, The Walking Dead, the movies like uh, The Road. Um, we always we always have a, like an eye yeah the, <laughs> we always have an eye for detail and see like well and you have to kind of imagine um, if if it makes sense you can't just put a tree in the middle of the street and you know you'll have to say well maybe like there's some water pipes broken and like there's a crack in the road and this is where it's come out from so 
you know, from that you kind of, and then what else kind of surrounds that area? And then it's, it's sometimes for, especially for buildings, when I'm detailing a building or I'm detailing a new interior or a new street or something, I always try to make up like um, a little story for it. It's like, who was here before? What did they do? And what did they leave behind? And I think if you look really closely in some of our buildings and some locations in the game, you'll kind of kind of paint your own picture of what happened there. And that's really my process of, of detailing things. It's just uh, what happened there before and how is it left behind? Do you think that's what a lot of people miss? Because that's one thing that when I look at a game and I, I look at some things on other games that are just, they seem so thrown together. And I'm just looking at them and like, don't you guys realize that this is a history? Like you're seeing the after effects of some event supposedly at this point. And the point of that scene is to tell what happened to get you to the here. Right. And it seems yeah. like they totally lose the, the the vision of, okay, the reason that something is placed here is because some event happened to get it there. I mean, if, if a plane crashed, if, if, if anything is set there, if there's a mark on the wall, it's not just, a, you don't just throw a mark on the wall. There's a series of events that made that happen. And it seems like that's that's one thing that always drives me crazy is it seems like a lot of people that do level design uh, for, for these large companies, like there's not any forethought or, you know, afterthought of what what made this happen. Like, because that's how, when yeah. I look at things, I'm, I'm always thinking like, what's the events that led to this? And I fill in the blanks. So, I mean, because I'll go off on the podcast. Nick knows this. Oh, no, never. For... <laughs> <laughs> you know I'll, I'll just be like well why you know they can have this be the end result but like what about all these things and i'll just come up with a whole scenario like this could be what made this happen but no they don't they like that's not why they did it they just said because that would be cool to put this here and it just uh yeah i, I yeah. think that's a really important thing that they seem to miss that the people like me look at it's I like think, i want to know why that happened i think some of us are uh some of the the stuff I put in there are kind of like in your face and it's pretty obvious. Like there was, there's a town called Clyde Hill and, and there's a garage and outside on the garage, it's got, it says, um, I think it says something like, sorry about your couch. And then you go into the house and there's like blood all over the couch, like something small like that. There's like, there's a history there of that house. Like what? And then you're, as a player, you're kind of like, Oh God, like what? You know, I got to fill in these blanks, but we kind of give you like tidbits of, you know, I would say it's it's kind of our way of making story out of the, some of the locations that you visit. It's, it's just through purely environmental and how the way everything's kind of placed in there. Do you think that's kind of the the downside of the of these ones that are trying to make something so big so fast that I mean, you could take H one Z one's houses on their first map, for instance, and if you look like. The bath, the back door goes into the bathroom, and and that's connected to the kitchen. And you know, it's just like the layouts; everything doesn't make sense. The, the reason that things are placed places didn't make any sense, and it's it's because they just we just need to get it populated. We just need to get stuff here. We just need to get it laid out. We need to get everything placed so that when people run around, like it feels like there's stuff here. Versus that other mindset of, well, we need to tell the story of, and that's one thing they didn't ever do. Well, why is there a zombie outbreak? What, ha- what led to this? Like, what are all these things? That, what happened to this building? Why is this door broken down? Little things like that that were never answered. And I, I think it's because it was never, a, they, didn't, they didn't even try. 
I, th- I think it just makes it, you know, I mean, thinking about this kind of makes it feel more real to the person who's, who's picking up and playing it, you know. <laughs> Other than what, you know, what you said about H1Z1, they just kind of splashed it together. And, I mean, it's obvious they need to get, they, they're probably more focused on, um, you know, getting people to play it and test it and try it and then figuring out their mechanics. But my job is really just to, try put as much detail and story into this as, as I can and make it you know fun to explore fun to go see you know if you go to a town and you you kind of seen the copy paste of something it's, it gets boring very quickly and this game is kind of majority of stuff you're doing is going into buildings and looting and looking around and exploring so you know why not make that fun why not make that interesting why not make that varied and that's what I try to pride ourselves in and that's one thing um, we actually had. I was talking with uh, Gary Newman one time on Twitter, uh, and he was talking about. And I asked him, I was like, "Well, what's you know, what's a, what are the most important positions in you know on the team?" And he he said, "Never hire a level designer." And I just thought that was really odd because <laughs> it goes totally in the face. He's like, "That's a one time thing, and you'll never do it. You know, you'll do it once, and then." And I was just like, but like for me, the level design, he was just like, yeah, level designers are there. You don't need any on your team. And I was just like, for me, that's like one of the most important roles is the level designer. Like that's what tells the whole picture. I think, you know, maybe if you look at Rust, it's a very different game. And, uh, you know, you can see level design is not necessarily what they're going for. Uh, You know, they have them, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like for him, for that type of a game, level design is nothing. But I think for Miscreated, it's a huge part. I think the reason that Miscreated has made it this far is because of your level design. Thank you. I mean, like, it's like a completely very different game. Um, I think, I believe their, their maps are procedural as well. They're not, you know, we, we, we kind of place every single piece of grass almost on, you know, on our map and Rust is just procedurally generated, computer generates that. So, I mean, yeah. to his point, he doesn't need one. He doesn't need me. But, I mean, ours is it's yeah. all completely handcrafted. So, and, then, and that's kind of what makes it what it is, is because is there's someone who goes over it and looks at it and, you know, really goes into rather than letting the computer kind of just generate it off the fly and you put in some numbers and that's it's done <laughs> well and I, I think that yeah i think that that's the thing with with a game like yours that is you're telling that story um now how much of of the story are you still planning on on telling because there's one thing that you can tell is the current like you can tell a little bit of history with with the level design do you guys have plans for telling the origin more of the or- origins of it, kind of telling a bigger history of it through some sort of other discovery, other than seeing the world as it is at this moment? You know what's led up to it. I mean, uh, we, we've been kind of discussing this back and forth a little bit. Um, I mean, one obvious idea is just kind of to have like survivor logs and survivor diaries that you can find in the world and that you can read and, and this has probably been one of our 
major discussions in, in China to tell the story a bit more. It's something in the world that you can read and look up. And if that's if you want to, most people probably who play the game, I don't really believe that they would want to spend their time reading books and diaries in the game. But I, I would like to put something in there if we could, something like that. There's a bit more black and white than than kind of the, the gray area that we kind of paint the picture with right now. And how much is that nailed is nailed down? I mean, do you guys have some kind of story that you're like, oh, here's what here's what got us here, um, or is that something that at that time you would have to to officially make a paint a picture of this? I mean, what we started with was like a couple paragraphs, and that's it. And um, I mean, I especially have kind of like made my little sub stories in it with just environmental talent, storytelling. Um, but, I mean, something to go into more detail about the story, I think we just need to kind of flesh it out a bit more. It isn't really everyone's major focal point, but there are, like, tidbits that we put in there. That is from these few paragraphs that we did have from the beginning. So, I mean, I'd like to just kind of wrap it up and make it nice and, and make more sense, to be honest. But, Yeah. So, um, so I have, I have one more question. I think Nick has one more question with the, uh, wow. the new sewer tunnels. Is that something that you guys had to really struggle with the engine to be able to implement it or it, was CryEngine able to hand handle that just fine since it is under the map or, you know, have you, did you have to do anything crazy to make that happen? I, I had to do a, f- a few different things to make that happen, to make it run the way it does run right now. <laughs> It was it was uh, it was quite a technical challenge. Um, one thing was um, trying to fit it under the city, and we didn't have much room from the terrain, from the street level, to you. You eventually hit ocean. The thing is about CryEngine, about the way we've set up the map, is that ocean runs completely level underneath all the terrain, so you can't go any lower than the ocean, and the city is quite on a low plane that we didn't have a lot of room to put a sewer system in there. So it was specifically designed to fit in that cavity there. Um, I mean, technically, we didn't want the city to run any worse than, than what it does, like frame rate and everything else. And um, so I had to do something different. We use something called vis areas, which you build boxes around um, the sewers, which are just um, kind of like wire shapes and... Um, and then you also build like portals. They're called portals, basically windows. So when you look through these shapes, so if you look through the, the portal or the window, you can see it render whatever it can see through that. And so when you're outside and you can't see through the hole or the entrance, it won't render anything in there. And that was that was probably the most important thing to do for that. Because I think I put... There's probably just over 10,000, I think it's about 10,000 hand-placed objects under there, and that takes a lot of resources to, to, to kind of render in, in one scene. So to, to cull it and make it hidden from when you're on the street level was, was very important. Otherwise, it would just run terribly, and it would never work. But I think we, we pulled it off. So. But there were other like glitches and things that we had to iron out as well. It were kind of difficult, but yeah. All right, there were Marco. a lot of technical challenges just for that. So it's, go on. Let's get into the real question here, the real, the real meat and potatoes of this interview. Let's say 
I bought Miscreated uh, a couple of weeks after it came out on Early Access. I played it a little bit, and I didn't like it. And I haven't been back since. What would you say okay. to me, the player that played it early on, what, what would you say to me to win me back to playing Miscreated? Uh, if you played Miscreated a year ago, then playing it today is pretty much a completely different game. Um, for when it came out on early access in 2014, there was only two towns and a, gu- and a pistol. Now you have boats, trucks, police cars. We have a major big city, which is probably unlike you've ever seen in any of a survival game. I would kind of put that out there um, with, you know, every huge skyscraper and building that you can go in. And it's fully detailed with thousands of objects and clutter and, I think there's about 30 different weapons now. Yeah, it's, it's completely changed from, especially the video you're rolling right now. Um, this was probably our, yeah, this is our base building trailer, which probably came out in 2015. And the game is completely different from what it was from then. It, it feels a lot smoother. It feels nicer. There's a lot more things to do. There's, you know, you can hunt deer. is just a completely big it's a much bigger game now than it was a year ago awesome so speaking of the uh the the city um this is the one like we played the division and then you guys released yes the city map a little bit after that and we were running through and i'm like this has the closest feel which i mean the, the division is a huge studio i mean this is a lot of people putting that 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 game together and and i'm just running around that city and i'm like this feels very similar to that like as far as the amount of detail and the the depth that you're able to get in there um one for especially for the size of studio but in the genre i would say one of the best looking cities um that i've seen so very nice thank you i mean um like graham is, is is a big fan of the division and you could probably see that in some of the work. Like you said, you know, you said that it feels like the division. Um, we're, we're, we're quite big fans of that. And um, especially Graham, our eyes, who did majority of the buildings in, in the city. Um, especially like the, the police station is, you've probably noticed that from, we, we took um, references from the division for the police station. So it feels very, much like that because we love that art we love that like that world and we wanted to kind of incorporate that in there a bit so he did a good job in that city so yeah yeah i was i was very impressed so marco somebody's watched this interview they're interested in miscreated they like what they saw they like what they heard from you where can they get more information about the game if they want to check it out uh you can go to miscreategame.com and that they'll have all our complete update history on there and links to um, our Steam store page and forums. You can also go onto our Reddit. I think it's uh, slash miscreated. They are slash miscreated for Reddit. But I would say go to um, our website, miscreated.com, miscreategame.com. And it has all the different social links in there that you can uh, find out a lot of information about the game. And what about you personally? Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at miscreatedmarco. 
and you know, follow me, hit me up a tweet, and I'll try answer it. Now, Mark, we always have to ask this at the end of every interview. Can you leave us with a secret, uh, a spoiler, a surprise? Can you leave us with some classified piece of information that will break here on our podcast? You have to give us something. It's, it's just a rule of doing an interview. <laughs> um, Nobody's watching. Remember, it's fine. <laughs> there's, there's nothing I can say, to be honest. Oh, man. We are like <laughs> 0 for 5 on this. Every time we just... <laughs> You're not the first one who's uh, answered that way. It's a swing and a miss every time. It's very, very upsetting. <laughs> one of them will do it. Uh, well, you know, being in this industry, you're always under NDA. <laughs> and I, I don't want to say, because there was like one time I did a Twitch stream and I was just showing people how I'm, you know, I was, do, I was doing like a landscape on the side of this mountain. And someone asked me about other weather effects like snow. And I was like, oh, we have a snow shader. And I was like, I showed him quickly what the whole map looks like covered in snow. And I said, I strictly said to them, I said, this is never coming to the game. This is never happening because it's so glitchy and so buggy. We're never going to put it in. And then like next day, Reddit, Twitter was all about, oh, snow's coming to miscreate. It's like, I told you it's not. Uh, they got a one screenshot, to... though. And a screenshot showing yeah, snow it. and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. this snow looks good, but I mean, it snows underwater. It doesn't snow on trees. Perfect, just like real <laughs> so life. It's just, buggy. <laughs> just like real life, yeah. So we don't we don't use the, the snow shader. No. Awesome, Marco. Cool. Thank you very much for uh, for taking some time. I know it's late over there to uh, to do an interview with us. We really appreciate it. Anything else before we wrap it up here? No, it's uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, for having me on here. It's it's been great. This is my first <laughs> real interview for the for the game. I mean, I've done some written ones, but um, this is my first kind of vocal one. I'm it sorry. Was really chill. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, I get, get someone else. Not to have you on here. Yeah. Thank. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank it's you very much, Marco. We appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon in the future. Yeah. Hopefully, it's been great. Thank right. you. Bye bye. All right, Brian. Well, uh, there we go. That is, uh, that's our, or I should say, that's your long-awaited interview with Marco from Miscreated. Um, I guess so. We're about we're about an hour in here. Um, anything else you want to jump into or cover uh, before we wrap it up here for our our special uh, both of us being away episode? No. Um, just make sure we you know whatever is going on for Game of the Week. Yep. Uh, if you're able to participate in that, I, one thing that is important is that sense of community we have with our podcast. Uh, even if you're like, eh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of this game that we're having. Uh, it's not necessarily the game we're playing. A lot of it is about hanging out with the people, uh, you know, that are part of the podcast. So I would encourage you, um, regardless of what game it is, you know, show up to the Friday night game night, come hang out with some people. Um, sometimes we do board games. Sometimes we play survival games. Sometimes we do whatever else um so it's a fun fun time though so i'd encourage you whatever it is we'll put a notification that will pop up on friday at the time and we'll also have an announcement in discord saying what the game of the week is going to be so thank you very much everybody for uh for being a part of this this is our pre-recorded episode but uh you of course you can listen to it in podcast form and if if you are maybe watching this on youtube and you're like oh you have a podcast uh make sure you go to our website infectionpodcast.com on the right hand side we have links that will take you to whatever uh, 
whatever kind of form that you'd like to, to be able to listen to or view us in. Um, we have a link that goes to a general podcast app, or you can listen to us on TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, iTunes, and uh, or you can even have it where it emails you a notification saying that there's a new episode. So a lot of different features there. Um, we also have our YouTube channel where right after the show is done, we upload a video version of our podcast each week. And so that will be automatically posted here on Tuesday when it's time to go uh, live. And also we will have our, our uh, podcast version going out at that same time. So make sure you follow us in all those different places. If you'd like to find me on the internet at Boise Computer on Twitter, you're welcome to check out my uh, blog. It's biteoftech.com. And I will look forward to seeing you guys when I get back in the country. So thank you very much. Yes, you'll be traveling abroad. Uh, safe travels on your trip. And I hope you enjoy it, Brian. Thank you very much. All right, folks. Uh, and by the way, speaking of that email function, I use, I use that email function to just to make sure that I've published the show properly. If I don't get an email by the time I'm getting ready to go to bed after uh, the Tuesday show, I'm like, oh, well, obviously, I like, oh, I didn't click publish or it's still a draft or something like that. So it's not spammy. And that works out well if maybe you're subscribed to it, but you just maybe you forget to listen. Um, <laughs> if, if, I don't know. Maybe or you listen to it on your computer. Yeah, maybe you don't use an app. Maybe you listen on on the website or something. It's a nice little just uh, like it's like a calendar alert. Uh, it'll pop up Tuesday night, uh, probably ten or eleven o'clock Eastern, that the show is published and live, so you can check it out that way. Um, and all that stuff works out really well. And I do want to mention one more quick thing before we get out of here: um, our support page. We've been pimping this out the past couple of weeks here. If you head on over to our website, infectionpodcast.com forward slash support. There's a couple different ways that you can help contribute to the show. Now, of course, there's other ways besides this, but these three ways are we have our Amazon affiliate link for a whole bunch of different countries. You bookmark our Amazon link when you buy stuff on Amazon. It helps us out with that. You can do a direct donation through PayPal, as we did with our uh, PAX East trip last year, which, of course, we always appreciate, and Humble Bundle. This is our new feature that we have here on the support page to help uh, support the show. You click on the Humble Bundle link. Uh, it's the same thing. It's similar to the Amazon program. It's an affiliate link, so we'll get some uh, get some clicks on that if you buy some games or whatever. Now that the summer sale is actually over, there's an advantage of buying things on Humble Bundle. Uh, you can support support the show, get some good deals on some games, and sign up for the uh, monthly Humble Bundle, which uh, which is actually probably out right about now. So head on over to our website, infectionpodcast.com forward slash support. Click on any of those icons. And uh, you'll be ready to go with that. And I did mention there's other ways to contribute to the show. And one of the big ones that I've been pushing recently is giving us news, uh, giving us stories, giving us games you want to talk about. In our Discord channel, which you can get to on InfectionPodcast.com, there's a news channel. Inside of that news channel, you can go in there uh, and we're just asking you, if you see a story or an article or a Steam update or a changelog, throw it in that news channel um, because so many things are going on throughout the week. Uh, Brian and I can can check that before the show on Tuesday, read through it, and make sure we got everything that we need to do. So, a whole bunch of different ways you can help support the show, uh, and of course, we always uh, always appreciate stuff like that. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Infection. We will be back live, hopefully, next week, but if not, um, we're live, we've been live almost every week right here on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Infection Podcast, live every Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, after the next couple of weeks, we'll be back and we'll be in our regular schedule for the foreseeable future. So thanks for uh, hanging in with us, guys. I'm sorry it's a little bit of a shorter show, but I was glad we were able to get that interview with Marco. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for episode 130 of Infection, the Survival Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.